Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 211. You know, buy the best and cry only once. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Bruce Meyer. Bruce, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Always. I think you are always ready for a fun ride. Bruce Meyer is a lifelong classic car enthusiast and one of the most vocal ambassadors of the collector car hobby today. He's built a world-class collection of important motor vehicles. He's a racer who holds several records, and he's an inspiring philanthropist. As an active participant, he enjoys driving in events around the world, and he serves on the board of many museums, including the Nethercut Collection, the Peterson the Mullen Automotive Museum, and the LeMay Museum. He's the founding chairman of the Peterson Automotive Museum and their Checkered Flag 200 group, and Bruce is a serious cheerleader for the car hobby and industry. Bruce, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your life and career around cars, and, of course, your passion for everything that rolls on rubber? Happy to. Well, for me, and I think for many of the real enthusiasts, it's just in your DNA. I mean, this is not like a taught thing or something that you just kind of see and kind of pick up. I, it's just always been in my DNA. I say it's a mutant gene. So <laughs> since my earliest years and my mother's earliest recollection, she said, Bruce loves anything with wheels, and that's never changed. So I, I've just always been an enthusiast, and... That's just the way it's been my whole life. I grew up subscribing to Boys Life. That's not around anymore, but it was a scouting magazine. Yeah, uh-huh. And Hot Rod magazine. So, you know, I, I dreamt of being a hot rodder and a car guy just from from my earliest recollections. Yeah, and you lived in Southern California in the SoCal region where hot rodding and cars were just everywhere. So as we, we continue on your journey here, I'll have some questions for you, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, was there a time where you really just got into it? I mean, it, I know you you told me earlier that uh, your parents weren't really that into cars, but you certainly were, so there was an inspiration there. Do you know where it came from? Well, 
I grew up in L.A., and I'm, you know, right in the center of L.A., kind mm-hmm. of Hollywood and so forth. So I, I didn't grow up in a, like what you call a privileged environment. So, you know, most of my car activities were dreams, you know, because my parents had as uncool a cars as, you know, <laughs> as anybody could. So there was no inspiration there. An inspiration for a work ethic, which I totally credit my parents. They were both you know, products of the depression and, um, you know, they believed in saving and not buying unnecessary things. And certainly fancy cars were not part of their program. But mm-hmm. so, you know, that was kind of my, my youth. I, I guess my first real foray into the cars came by accident because my father had given me tuition money for college. And I went through orientation and found that they had tuition loans that were interest-free, and you just needed to pay them back by the end of the year. Well, of course, I pocketed the money my dad gave me, Uh-oh. <laughs> and I bought a 53 BSA and a 50 Merc. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so those were kind of like my first, you know, cars that of my choice, you know, so yeah. and motorcycles. So that, that kind of started me in the motorcycles, and this was back in 59. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, quite a, quite a number of years ago where, you know, a dollar really went a long way. Yep. You know, you could, you could buy a 40 Ford for $50 or $75 and you could be pretty cool in that but yeah uh, so that was kind of like my first you know you know foray into the cars of course i had to sell them by the end of the semester and move (laughs) on but i've just always had a great love for hot rods which i think are you know very underappreciated just the really the importance of hot rodding so that's kind of you know that was my start your start sure well as we continue on your journey i always like to ask my guests for a success quote, and this is something that's been instrumental in informing your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Bruce, take the wheel. Well, an inspirational quote. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of quotes that I just that I love, but one, one that I kind of live by, and, and it's not really like such an intellectual quote, but it's, you know, buy the best and cry only once. <laughs> Whether it's a restoration or a car, I, I just I, I never try and take a shortcut because mm-hmm. it always ends up to be you know costing more money. So I say just buy the best or you know and and cry only once. Just the time you write the check because that'll be the only time you'll cry. You know? <laughs> I don't know if that's where you that's the direction you want to go, but that's, I live my life by that. Yeah, you know I've heard uh, that guidance from a lot of my guests is to buy the best, but the additional of cry only once is something new. But I think we all understand that. You just get over it and move forward, but uh, buy the best you can up front instead of going through the uh, expensive process of restorations, unless that's something you really enjoy doing. <laughs> Fantastic. That's right. You talked a little bit about your passion for cars going way back and your mom saying that you've always loved anything that rolls around, but could you share with us one story that you can recall that really instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that Bruce was a car guy? Whoa. <laughs> you know, I can't really think of a moment. Um, I think I've just kind of always been a car guy. I think probably the time that I really realized how dedicated I was to the hobby was when we started the Peterson Automotive Museum. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's late in life, and that's 20 years ago. I never really considered myself a collector. I still don't consider myself a collector. <laughs> I consider myself an enthusiast. Uh. I drive every car I have. I don't buy a car because I think it fits in a collection or I ought to have one of those. I buy everything out of passion. 
But I would say that I didn't really realize how involved with the hobby that I was until we, we, we started the Peterson Automotive Museum, and then I put together a group called the Checkered Flag 200, which which now has 500 enthusiastic members. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that I that I really am part of this group, and I have responsibilities, and I want to do what I can personally to advance the hobby and make it enjoyable and challenging and fun. And, mm-hmm. and, and really, you know that cars are cool, but it's the people. Yes. And your show is about the people. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you could, if you could talk to cars and they could talk back, it would, you know, it, it would just be another car. But it's just the people in this hobby that are so much fun and so enthusiastic, so welcoming. So I guess it's through the Peterson that I was able to really, you know, realize dreams and hopefully make a difference. Well, I think you. In fact, I know you've made a difference, and that's what's great about this. You mentioned. With cars, yeah, this is all about inspiring other people, and the museum, the organizations you're involved with are all about doing the same thing, so that's perfect. So, Bruce, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your life. But the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame it, and, of course, what did you learn from that? Well, when the Peterson first opened its doors or actually in the building process there were no enthusiasts involved at all so that's when i started this checkered flag 200 and i was advised by my closest car pals not to call it the checkered flag 200 but to call the checkered flag 100 and the reason is to be a member of the checkered flag 200 i wanted a thousand dollars a year commitment Mm -hmm. so you know to find 200 car loving guys that were willing to give up a thousand dollars a year to belong to this group right. was a challenge yeah. and but i stuck with the 200 and i mean i got this fellow that painted a building for me to join in and i got my accountant and i got a lot of people that had no real interest in automobiles but just owed me a favor and, and just joined up so mm-hmm. i was able to fill the 200 and then they said, well, you'll never get 200 people back the next year. And so what we did is every month we'd plan an event or visit a collection or take a rally. And and so the challenge for me was to keep the organization, which it still is today, and, and we're celebrating our 21st year now. Wow, congratulations. So, so it's, you know, it's a monthly challenge, and we've got a great board of, and, and, and helpers, but we do events every month. So... It's up. It's really kind of up to me and our board to come up with with interesting events that bring people in. Now today we have 507 members, and it's a thousand dollars, a thousand, thirteen hundred dollars a year. So you can do the math. I yeah. Mean, it's, yeah. It's nice. It's serious money, and that goes right to the museum. So that it's a it's a challenge keeping it fresh, keeping you know keeping it vital. Yes. And um, and so I mean that's certainly I I can't call that a you know. Uh, a challenge, you know, life-changing challenge, but it was it. It definitely is one of my fun challenges, and it's ongoing. Yes, and it's involved with the Peterson. And now we're we're challenged by the fact that we're underway on a eighty-seven million dollar yes rebuild. I know at the Peterson, and we're and we're in need of money. Um, I mean, we're well over halfway there. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, it's the last little bit that is just the real grind. I mean, you know, we have to, we're, we're down to about the last $20 million. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's going to be a big challenge for me and for our board. Um, yes. And, you know, we'll get there because we will get there. But it's not going to be easy and it's going to not come without work. But at the end of the day, it's going to be very gratifying. Oh, absolutely. And when we get to the end of the show, we'll share with our listeners how they can get involved and help with this tremendous opportunity that uh, you presented for people. And Adam Martin was a guest on Cars Yeah, and he's, I know he worked with you in the Checkered Flag 200 Club and, yeah. uh, and helped you greatly. So and he, uh, he talked about the organization quite a bit, and I'm familiar with it as well. Bruce, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share an aha moment that you've had in your career, your business, your life. It's, it's one of those times that you realize that an idea – or a concept that you have had a lot of merit and was going to make it, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, one of my most memorable moments is when I bought my building in Beverly Hills. In 1968, I opened a candle shop in Beverly Hills, and that was my first real foray into retail. Mm-hmm. And my landlord there was a wonderful Texan named Herb Peters, and um, make a long story short, over the years, I said, Herb, if you ever sell this building, you've got to, you know, you got to sell it to me. Now, I had no idea how I'd ever get the money to buy the building. But I guess something I learned from Herb is the fellow next door wanted to buy the building. He came up with a price. Herb came to me and said, Bruce, it's a price that I really feel like I can, you know, I, sh- I need to sell the building for this price. And we shook hands on it. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll, I'll buy it. And I shook his hand. And you know, like 90 days later, we closed escrow, and he came to me, and he said, Bruce, if you want to make a substantial profit, the guy next door raised his bid. And he raised it like the day that Herb and I shook hands. And it was a, it was such an important thing and so important what a handshake meant to me. Yes. It, it taught me a lesson that when you shake hands with somebody and you look them in the eye and you make an agreement with somebody, there's nothing more to discuss. Right. And and in today's world, he'd have come right back to me and said, Bruce, you know, so-and-so raised his offer, and I'd love to sell you the building, but, you know, it's going to cost you this much more. Right. In those days, when you shook hands, there was, that was a deal. Yeah. And it really meant something to me. And I've, and I've told my children this, and I've told them this story, and I said, you know, in life you have one reputation, and you can ruin it in more ways than you can count. And... <laughs> To always live by your word and, you know, don't cheat the deal, don't change the deal, don't retrade it, you know, just stick with it and your good reputation will come with you. And I think I've done a good job of, of minding my reputation. I, God, I hope I have no enemies. And I just think that's that that was a real turning point for me just to, to realize how important, you know, I admired that man. I mean, to this day, I think about him and, and what a wonderful lesson my dad would have done the same thing but it was just just so happened on this on this deal that he lived by his word so oh fantastic that 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 to me just that was real real changing so when i look somebody in the eye and i say i'm going to do something i'm going to do it and just that's it perfect what a wonderful story what a wonderful aha moment for you i really love that thanks for sharing that very personal moment how about proudest moments i am sure you've had many in your life but is there one that stands out as really special that you could share with me? When I think of proudest, you know, you always want to make your parents proud. 
And unfortunately, my parents weren't around for this proud moment. But I'd say one of the big moments of my life was winning the McGuire's Award for the Collector Car Person of the Year. Now, this goes back, you know, in 99. Mm -hmm. But it really meant a lot to me to be selected for this honor. So I guess so much of my life has revolved around the car world that to receive this nice honor just was huge for me. And um, I would say that I, I was just about, that's about as happy as I've, you know, <laughs> yeah. up to that point, you know, yeah. other than other than doing little things that, you know, please your parents, you know. But I don't know, that just meant a lot because it was just validation of the fact that, you know, my efforts were being appreciated and that I'm, I'm able to make a difference. Well, fantastic. And congratulations again for that award. That was really great. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Could you share with me your first really special car? It doesn't have to be your first car, but the first car that was really special to you. Maybe you sacrificed a lot for this vehicle. I'm not sure what it is, but if you could share what that vehicle was and perhaps a special memory you had with that vehicle. Well, my first real car was in 1961. I bought a Porsche, and I'd up to that point, I'd, I just craved hot rods and muscle cars, and my father said he would help me buy my first car, and I was going to buy a 1960 Chevy Biscayne with a big motor and four-speed, and I was kind of going in that direction, and I realized that was like $2,500, and then I heard you could buy a Porsche, you know, a really cool foreign sports car Mm -hmm. for $2,700, so I bought this Porsche in 1961 for $2,700. I mean, no options other than I had chrome wheels and a spe- and, and signal red paint. But um, anyway, so that was my first car, of me- you know, really great car. And I had that car, you know, going through college. And back then, Porsches, you used to flash your lights, and it was a pretty small club back then. Right. I, I really consider myself kind of a hot rodder and a, and a Porsche guy mm-hmm. and a sports car guy kind of more than the muscle cars at this point. But that was the turning point for me and putting me into the sports car. So that was my first real car. Yeah, fantastic. It was a big deal for me. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I remember sleeping with the brochure under my pillow, just you know, <laughs> waiting for the day that I got my Porsche. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. How about seller's remorse? We've all had vehicles in our garages that we let go that we wish we could have back. Is there one car in particular, that you wish you could have back in your garage? Well, so the one car that got away that I guess I'd do it again, but I sure do miss it, and that was Steve McQueen's Porsche Speedster. Oh, gosh, yes. In 1968, I bought this little black Speedster, and I paid $1,500 for it, and kind of when I was driving it away, the previous owner said, you know, this car belonged to Steve McQueen. Well, in you know, in, in '68, it really didn't matter. I was racing motorcycles and riding motorcycles, and we'd see see Steve McQueen. And he was just one of the guys. I mean, a very cool guy, mind you. <laughs> yes. But but it wasn't like you know, godlike, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't have given him any more for the car. So I owned the car for about ten years, and maybe a little less than that. And Steve heard that I had the car through the, through the vine. The guy that where I had it serviced, uh, Bob Smith Porsche Audi, and in Hollywood, told Steve that, you know, his old speedster was owned by me. Well, Steve said, no, no, it couldn't be. And anyways, to make a long story short, Steve chased me down and 
saw the car, figured out it definitely was his car, and he started every week calling me, trying to get me to sell the car. And my wife said, don't you sell that car. You love that car. And back then, you know, I had, I, I had a little, I had a, another car. So the Speedster was kind of like a second car. Mm-hmm. But I loved the car. It was black with rudge wheels. And nice. it was a beautiful, beautiful car. Anyways, to make a long story short, he just wore me out. But he said, Bruce, if I ever sell the car, when I go to sell the car, whatever, it'll come back to you. And I thought that's the right thing to do. You know, if somebody offered me, or if I if I found somebody that had my first car car that was important to me, mm-hmm. you know that they might find their way to selling it back to me. Well, I did sell it to Steve, and then about three or four years later, he passed away. Now Chad, his son, has the car today, so okay. the car is in good hands. Yeah, and it's still in the family, but I wish it were in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. You know, so that's the one car that probably that I should never have sold. I went and I had another, bought another one just like it. So I have a twin to it, but it's not Steve's, you right. know. And yeah. Steve's car is, is McQueen's car. So I had that. I've got fun memories. There's pictures of me with Steve in the car. and But, you know, that's the car that got away. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's a great story. I love that. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on today that really has you excited and fired up? Well, we're just completing the final stages of, of freshening up a Bitzerini. And I don't know if you're familiar with oh, a Bitzerini. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, beautiful cars. Yeah, these are really stunning cars. And this was a car that Giotto uh, Bitzerini, for those that may not be familiar with the name, he was the chief race engineer for Ferrari. And he is the gentleman that, that did all the engineering and all the race preparation and, and really the design of the short wheelbase Berlinetta, SWB, and the famous Ferrari GTO. Yes. So he was the father of the GTO, which was, you know, epic. And he and Enzo had a falling out, and in 62, you know, Giotto and the other race engineers all left. It was called the Palace Revolt at Ferrari. <laughs> yes. So Bitzerini went off, and he went and he built a car called the Bread Van, which was basically a short wheelbase with a lowered engine and moved back and altered. It was not. It's not the best looking Ferrari ever, but yeah, it was pretty it, different looking. <laughs> really different looking, but it was faster than the GTOs, and that's what Bitzerini wanted. So he wanted to beat the GTOs, and and but the car didn't. It didn't hold up you know it it was faster and ran faster times at Le Mans but it didn't it didn't um finish mm-hmm. so he went off and he built what's called an A3C which is a coupe and he entered at Le Mans 64 and 65 and so I purchased the car that he built for 65 it was a works car and it won its class at Le Mans which is a big deal finishing in the top 10 oh yeah you know in, in front of the GT40s and oh and it was beaten by one Cobra Coupe. I mean, it was it ran right with the GT40s and the Cobra Coupe. So it's an unknown car because there were so few of them. And this is the car that won Le Mans. And so we've been working on that, and we're just about finished with that now and, and kind of doing the debugging. And I'll have that on the track and on the street. And uh, that's beautiful. the project we're just finishing now. So yeah. that's I'm very excited about that. Oh, those are beautiful cars. I got to spend a day with one of those photographing it. Uh, belonged to a friend, Bill Cotter, up here in the Pacific Northwest that he raced as a red car. And I've got pictures of my son when he was young sitting in that car. They're beautiful. They're just gorgeous cars. Very different, very unique. And, yep. uh, yeah, very it's, special. It's what they call a, a front mid-engine. 
Yeah. Because the engine is so far back, you actually have to work through the the, the dashboard yeah. to, to tune it. You know, I mean, it's not the easiest car to work on, but the engine is, sits right almost next to you. Yeah. And it's all it's just a beautiful handling car, and it's about oh gosh, it's probably three feet high. I mean, it is <laughs> yes. it is just it's the lowest, flattest, you know, inboard brakes. Very, very advanced for 65. Yeah, I always thought with the design of those cars that they that he designed the car and then it was in clay and then he just stood on it and smooshed it down. Because That's it just, exactly you know, because it just looks like, okay, it's too tall. Let's just make it a little lower. Yeah, and, just pancake it. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Wonderful collection. Can't wait to see that. Now, this next question is a little introspective for you, Bruce. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? So, loving hot rods, and I'm a huge fan of the V8, Mm -hmm. I would probably be a Cobra. Mm, Yes. You know, I I just, now, your next question is big block or or small block, you know. (laughs) Okay. and uh, and I you know I I have a small block I had a big block until uh, just a few months ago, and 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 probably for just the smoothness the big block is just such a great car. Yeah. But I just love that V8 sound and the American connection and the good looks and the successful race record. So, yeah. I would say a small block Cobra would be me. There you go. I love it. I think that fits perfectly. <laughs> Wonderful. It for me. Yeah, fantastic. We're about to enter the last lap, but before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars yeah guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com. And be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E-Gear.com. All right, Bruce, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I know you love to get out on the track. You know what this means. The white flag is out. This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick Blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Go for it. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice would be on the track, and that's to look ahead. Mm, heads up. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't look at the corner you're going through. Look for the next corner. Yep. And that's probably good advice in life. Yeah, I think so. Always look ahead. Heads up. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well... Lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I the emails I get from you are always at like 11 o'clock to midnight. <laughs> so, yes, you're up working late often. <laughs> you know, I just find sleep to be such a waste of time. Yes. And, I, and I'm pretty darn type A, so I keep busy and I sign my letters, never lift. I just, I, you know, I just, 
I just don't slow down. Yep. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes I miss certain scenes, but uh, for the most part, just uh, staying busy, whether it's productive business work or charitable work, I just... um, Yep. I just like staying on the gas. Never lift. I had Don Garlitz on the show, and his father gave him some advice. He said, there'll always be time for sleep when you're dead. That's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> I thought me. that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> How about resources? Is there one in particular you'd share with our listeners? I know there's a lot of them out there with the web these days, but is there one in particular you think the Cars Out listeners would really enjoy? Well, I like Auto Week. Yes. Um, I think they have a great website. And it kind of covers the hobby, mm-hmm. and it covers racing, and what's new. So I'd say autoweek.com, I guess. Yeah, yeah, great resource. cars, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate that. I find that to be a, a really good resource. And, and, it's, and it's, you know, it's owned and run by Keith Crane, and, you yeah. know, he's the real deal. He's a real enthusiast. So oh, absolutely. It's not like owned by some conglomerate that bought a bunch of magazines and tried to make a dollar. He's in it for all the right reasons. Yep. Love to get Keith on this show someday as well. Bruce, is there a book that you could share with our listeners that you think they should get their hands on? A book that I find is a great resource is the uh, Shelby American World Registry for Cobras. And I, and I say that only because I want to give a shout out to the hardworking researchers and writers that mm-hmm. write these books, whether it's Phil Porter, who does the Jaguar registry, or the guys that write the registries, whether it's Cobra or Jag or Porsche or, you know, race car registries, they do such a service that they deserve recognition. And, 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 and Ned Scudder, who does the Cobra registry, I mean, he's put his life into that yeah and it really it's a great service and a great resource wonderful resource listeners you can find links to all these resources at carsyad.com slash bruce meyer all right bruce we're up to the checkered flag and this last question can be a real doozy especially for a collector like you if you could only have one collector car in your garage but don't worry about the cost if it's a car you don't have i'm going to buy you whatever you'd like today so that's no problem What would that one vehicle be and why? I think I would take either a Cobra or a short wheelbase Berlinetta Mm. Ferrari from like 1960 or 61. Mm -hmm. And the reason is you can do events in that car. It's got the sound. It's got a race-proven history and performance. Yes. I hate not saying a Porsche because I really, really do love Porsches, but they're so predictable and reliable and easy that it's you know <laughs> if that's my only car I'd, I'd i like just you know i like to be challenged a little more so mm-hmm. i would say that the the short wheelbase berlinetta or a cobra um small block cobra okay right? now i always make all my guests pick just one so if i let you get away with two i'm okay. going to get a lot of phone calls from from the last 200 people that have been on the show so if you had to pick between those two the cobra or the short wheelbase which one would well be? my proud american roots would have to go for the cobra the cobra i kind of thought you'd say that i like that and and i just love the you know the american heritage yes well thank you Sorry I had to push you to the limit there, but uh, I didn't want to get a lot of calls or emails from my past guests going, hey, how come Bruce got away with that? 
That's okay, Mark. <laughs> All right, great. Well, Bruce, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me today. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance for life or for cars or for the hobby before you drive off into the sunset in that Cobra, what would it be? Well, pick a hobby, the car hobby, that just has the most enthusiastic supporters. I think I feel sorry for guys that don't have a passion. And I don't think that there's any more fun group than the car group. And you know, it's just been it's wonderfully entertaining and I my best friends are from the car hobby and so I've encouraged my my children to, you know, pick a passion that has a wonderful cadre of people involved because it's all about the people. You know, we think it's the cars but it's the people and the car hobby has just been a great resource of friendships and passion and dreams for me certainly has and i love one of your mottos is never lift did i have that right you got it yeah never lift fantastic is there a way that the listeners for cars yeah can learn more about you or the organizations you're involved in well the peterson automotive museum is easy to find and they have a great website and it's peterson.org Yes. P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org. And as far as me, I don't have a face. I mean, I have a Facebook page, but I never check it out. (laughs) And I don't add anything to it. Somehow I ended up with this thing, but I I don't really do anything on that. So, I mean, I think there's stuff on the web and on YouTube. They've put a few of the videos that I've been involved with. But um, anyways, I just, um, you know, appreciate just helping the hobby any way I can. Well, you certainly have. And... I'll remind our listeners, if you'd like to get involved with the Checkered Flag 200 or join that organization, it's a fantastic organization. You can find it through the Peterson.org website, and I encourage you to check that out and contribute. Be a part of it. Be a part of the hobby, as Bruce has with his life, and you'll find uh, all sorts of wonderful things you can do. Thank you, Bruce, for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Never lift. Never lift. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.